The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. Well, you know, that's the way it goes. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and more leaks than a porcupine's raincoat. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. <laughs> and I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. You like it when I get folks in, I do. You? I do very much. On this week's show, I have a hopefully helpful hint about using your smartphone as a magnifying glass. And Pedro here lets the sun shine in with a tech term. But first, some news. News. Glorious news. We got news. Is there a lot of news? There's a fair amount of news. Yeah, a lot of pages there. Well, so, some of this is just I, I grabbed a stack off the copier and it may not go. actually be it mine. It might not be yours. Stuff, okay, but, uh, that's understandable. I'll keep reading until I get to the parts that are not mine. Ah, <laughs> yes. All right, let's get to it. So, uh, so well, let's just, you know, this is kind of a the hot topic here. Uh-huh. What is it with politics and data leaking all over the floor? Oh, boy. It's not hacked emails this time, uh, but a marketing firm that has been gathering information on more than 198 million American citizens on behalf of the Republican National Committee had a little accident this week. A little um, oopsie? Yeah, uh, it seems that said marketing firm uh, left all that data on these people out there in a publicly accessible Amazon server. This is coming to us from Gizmodo. Uh, and apparently there was information on 61% of the U.S. population in this, uh, according to the site. What? A, a lot of uh, a lot of people in I guess the the uh, Republican National Committee was looking for potential voters and, and you know both Democrats and Republicans do deep deep analysis they gather tons of data they're trying to figure out where their voters are how to play to them and and they put this on an, a public Amazon server yeah the, the data analytics firm that was doing the job for them uh, the information included the home addresses birth dates and phone numbers of American citizens uh, plus deeper background tidbits like suspected religious affiliation and ethnicity, uh, as well as those voters' positions on abortion rights, some cell research, and gun ownership. And you want to guess who found all this unsecured data? WikiLeaks? No, Chris who? Vickery again. Chris that guy Vickery. who finds yes. all the data breaches. That guy's he's working hard. Yeah, he, he found the last one we talked about. Yes, so, he did. Uh, he uh, found this, and uh, Gizmodo reported on it. Uh, Chris Vickery works for a firm called UpGuard now. I yep. believe they have a post on it. So, uh yeah, once once again, uh, data left out in the rain. Thank gosh that he's a white hat. Yes, Cause yes, because this could be bad. Yeah, and and I don't know if he was the first one to find it. Let's hope. Probably not too many happy people there. Um, now also leaking audio from a meeting about leaking. Really? Don't you just love the meta-ness just, of it all? Yeah, it's definitely meta. Yes. The Outline website has the details about Apple's internal quest to keep news of its future products from spilling out into the public. This illicit audio was reportedly from an hour-long presentation and included the revelation that Apple's global security team uses its own investigators to stop leaked information from getting to, you know, bootleggers and the company's competition Mm -hmm. and to find out who spilled the beans in the first place. They've probably got to be really busy investigators uh, with the amount of rumor mill churn that you get on Apple stuff. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, these uh, investigators actually come with uh, bona fides, too, and some of Apple's team has had previous employment with the military the National Security Agency, and I the U.S. It. Secret Service. This needs it. to be one of those acronym shows on CBS, oh, yeah. you know, like NCIS, <laughs> or uh, just to, you know, <laughs> the, the data leakers uh, for the big tech company. 
Oh, man, this is just crazy. Yeah, and this is a very detailed story. Uh, we'll have a link to it because it's a, a lot more to chew off than we have uh, here in the yes. news segment. Mm-hmm. But uh, just uh, leaking about leaking. Here's leaking about leaking, yes. Yes, uh, Apple's Tim Cook and other tech executives also had a meetup this week as part of the White House's American Technology Council, which is a group designed to transform and modernize the government's use of digital tools and services. Really? Mr. Cook uh, suggested that coding should become part of the standard school curriculum. I agree. Yes, it is. It's basically like you had the foreign language requirement yeah. back in our day. I yep. think you should have foreign language requirement and coding now. Or, I agree. Or you know, replace it with a science that has maybe not become as, as uh, useful. They don't have typing classes anymore. Put it in that yeah, slot. Yeah, put the coding in. Yeah. Well, yeah. don't they call it, call it keyboarding now and you learn it in like second grade or something? Oh, it, it, well, and now, and now oh, with the touchscreen too, is it going to be like? Well, I don't want to call it a touching class, but, right. you know, a touchscreen uh, yeah, maneuvering class. Maneuvering class. Let's put it that yes. way. So, uh, swiping class. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, and if you slack off and swipe in. Yes. I'd be the kid beginning the D and swipe in. <laughs> uh, but uh, so Mr. Cook suggested the coding. Uh, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos uh, suggested making more use of commercial technology. I'm going to guess maybe provided by Amazon. Provided by Amazon, yes. Uh, and... Planeteer CEO Alex Karp pointed to ways big data could be used to catch fraudulent federal spending. Perhaps those $600 wrenches that the Pentagon was selling back in the yeah. 80s could come up in a sort of analysis uh, with, with big data there. Possible. So, uh, But Mr. Cook, uh, to his credit, though, has made instructional books and apps for Apple's Swift programming language available for those who want to learn. And you can download the Swift app for free. And I played around with it. It's actually pretty good. It's geared towards kids. But if right. you are just starting out... We're all kids, so mm-hmm. have a go at it. Works on your have, iPad. Good not? way to kind of get the fundamentals of coding down. Have fun. Knock yourself out. Yes. Uh, now, speaking of Amazon, the Uber Mega Everything store, uh, they kind of seem to be intent on becoming the super Uber Mega Everything store. Late last week, the company announced it was buying the Whole Foods chain of upscale grocery emporiums for $13.7 billion, with a B, dollars. I could never afford to shop there. I know that they call don't call it whole paycheck for nothing. Yeah. Um, and as we know, and as we've talked about here on the show, Amazon has been publicly experimenting with creating its own grocery stores over the past year. That whole thing they were doing out in Seattle mm-hmm. where you could either order ahead and go pick up your groceries or you walked into the store and it sensed what you pick off the shelf and then you didn't have to go through the cashier because Amazon just knew what you uh, managed to uh, shop for there. And, that didn't and work out, out too well, though, from what I understand. Yeah, there, there were some sensor some problems. Glitches. and yeah. yeah they, they maybe needed to take that one back into a beta again. Whole Foods is going to keep its name in this marriage, and uh, the hefty merchandise price tags that led to that nickname of Whole Paycheck, I think, are going to be coming down. I think Amazon is going to trim the inventory, maybe put in some of Amazon's own house brands that are cheaper mm-hmm. to produce and mm-hmm. some of the Whole Foods uh, items. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people uh, are saying that if Amazon uh, gets this cart-sensing technology off the ground, they won't need the human cashiers, uh, even though the company has re- refuted such reports and said it has no plan to automate checkout jobs. Still, you know, mm. they're, they're trying to get Whole Foods into direct competition with Walmart, and th- these are two very different yeah, shopping experiences. Yeah, I don't see that happening, yeah. And uh, customer uh, bases. I would so. never think of going to Whole Foods in my pajamas. Yeah. Walmart? Walmart, yeah. yeah, that's a uniform. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you go at 2 in the morning, you need a swizzle stick. 
you leave your pajamas on. I'm only going to Walmart. Yeah, and and it's, Walmart has kind of become a community center too for people. You know, right. hey, how you doing? Yeah, and, you exactly. know, I go to Walmart every week. We're not knocking on Walmart, no, and of I find not. it a fascinating place. But it is a very different experience than shopping at Whole Foods. I'm which definitely tends to not be, knocking Walmart. It's just really it's yeah. a different world. In or Whole there. Foods is it's, Whole Foods kind of you want to dress up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I got to wear like a shirt. Yeah, and I don't think I'm hip enough to shop in Whole Foods and go so. down and find the artisanal purple carrots yeah, and all of no, that. I don't think so either. But Seriously. Amazon's going to have a go at it here. I'm all about the bodega cats myself. So. Oh yeah, the bodega. You, you can't beat a good bodega cat. I mean, they're going to you know not. come up and you know check you out, make sure you're, you're bulletproof uh, glass. There's not enough bulletproof glass in the Whole Foods for me. Yeah. So yeah, you, know. you just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel there comfortable. Too many exactly. open spaces. Too many yeah. open spaces. Yeah, well, well, here's hoping the Whole Foods cashiers are not uh, severely impacted by this. I hear they pay well at Whole Foods, too. Yeah. That's from I what I, I understand. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I hope they don't. Yes. Uh, Come but, on, Amazon. Do the right thing. Yes. But when it comes time to look for that job, whether from this or just in general, yeah. uh, Google is trying to make it easier. Are they now? They are. A post on the company's blog announced the rollout of the new Google for Jobs project, which I think they talked a little bit about during the I.O. conference in May. Mm-hmm. But starting this week on Google's desktop and mobile search apps, when you search for jobs near me or teaching jobs or whatever kind of jobs you're looking for, just mm-hmm. a, a job-seeking uh, query, you should get back in-depth results from sites like LinkedIn, Monster, Career Builder, all of those sort of job Gathering Monster sites. Monster's still around? Wow. I think they are. They got bought by somebody. Yeah, and they I'm they sure weren't they the, did. the big thing that they used to be. I think right. LinkedIn's kind of dominating a lot oh, yeah. of that now. Absolutely. So it's got that nice networking element built in on the Microsoft backing. Yep. But uh, G- Google is going to try to make searching for a job actually pay off. So, mm. so we shall see. It's nice of them to uh, try anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Google is also showing a little love towards the Samsung Galaxy S8. Owners of that particular smartphone model can get exclusive access to what's called New Release Radio from the Google Play Music Service. New Release Radio? Nah, I wonder what that could be about. Um, But as one might guess from the name, New Release Radio is a playlist that updates itself daily and holds the latest new releases that might appeal to your personal music preferences. All right. So if you're a known heavy metal fan, maybe you're not going to get the country western uh, top songs of the day, vice versa. Well, you know, I see that drives me crazy, though, because I like listening to all kinds of music. I'm not just saying that. I was a recording engineer for a long time. The only music that I never really got into, but I won't diss, is polka music. I can't really... You have to be in the right place for polka. You really do. Like North Dakota. And the the right frame of mind. Yes. But everything else, maybe I do want to get. You know, yeah, the latest. You, you discuss, and maybe there's settings in here you can adjust your preferences uh, to, hey, I'm open to all forms of music. All right, uh, that's good. I hope radio. so. I hope so. Play me something I haven't heard before. Nice. Yes. I've got a music-related one, too. Former engineer of music. Former, what, yes. what is your item? Listen, you remember we were talking about how I've been ranting about that, the, that Sonos is a company that needs to worry about the Alexas and the HomePods and all that stuff? Oh, yes. Uh, just a few weeks ago we discussed this. Exactly. And sure enough... Story today on, where is it, 9to5Mac. Uh-huh. That's a reputable site, right? They know stuff. Yep. Amazon surpassed Sonos to become the leader in Wi-Fi speaker sales. Uh-oh. Ahead of Apple's HomePod. Okay. So it looks like Sonos is getting left in the dust. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be HomePod and Alexa, because I don't think anyone's buying that Google thing. Do you know anyone who has a Google Home? They make it seem like it's useful. So Alexa is has already got the lead because it exists and HomePod doesn't. Exactly. And they Sonos the, is hugely expensive. It right? is hugely expensive. Now, what do they call these things? They call them 
uh, Wi-Fi speakers. Yeah, Wi-Fi speakers. That's what the that's the term they're they're All lumping right. these in, or the, the the category. Yeah. And there's an analytics company, Strategy Analytics, says that it expects intelligent home speakers. Alexas and things like that. Things that listen to you. Right. Yes. They're not counting the Sonos because technically Sonos is just a Wi-Fi speaker to make up around 90% of all Wi-Fi speakers by 2022. Uh-huh. So the idea is that folks are going to be going away from the one-trick ponies mm-hmm. of Sonos and going with the- uh, Into the, a speaker that does more yeah, than just play your Yeah, talks to you and buys you stuff and yeah. tells you jokes and things like that. Oh, dear. Well, and like- it helps you dress in the morning. Oh, yes, because we talked about that with the Amazon, Yes, we did. Too. Uh, yes, we did. Creeps me out. It does. That's creepy. Yeah. Sorry. It's like, is it going to tell me which T-shirt to wear? Are you going to do the Wolverine or are you yeah, going to do the Batwoman exactly. today? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Well, maybe maybe some people need that kind of help. But, uh, well, well, here's uh, hoping Sonos can figure out a place for itself in this yeah, world. Yeah, let's hope. They were, they were kind of own that space for a while. They sure did. They yeah. sure did. All right. Well, uh, moving on. While some companies are flocking to Amazon for Alexa speakers, dash buttons, or whatever, uh, others are going in the opposite direction. Dropbox announced on its blog this week that it has created its own edge network and was getting off of Amazon's cloud, uh, so to speak, or rather the Amazon Web Services chunk of the Internet uh, that sits underneath the Dropbox infrastructure. And they're going out and making their own, and they're going to be a a non-reliant company upon Amazon. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, so I guess when Amazon goes down, Dropbox won't go with it. So how quickly do you think Dropbox is going to get hacked? Oh! Well, based on history. Oh, snap! Yeah, hopefully they're building some security. There's one thing you got to say about Amazon servers. They tend to be secure. Yeah, Except, of course, if you leave stuff in the public space, that's a different story. Yeah, and that's not not Amazon's fault. Right, that's not Amazon's fault. Yeah, I think Amazon's been fairly reliable, except for the errant DDoS attack or something, which yes. is which is not really a security thing. It's but more of a pylon. It's funny this ties into my tech term because the whole point of why I'm talking about raids and uh, and stuff like that is because I want to get off the cloud again. All right, cloud uh, is scaring you again. Yeah, the cloud is scaring me again. Yes, dark clouds. All dark right. clouds. We'll, we'll hurry up on the, the news so we can get to your tech term. There you go. Now, the Federal Trade Commission is stepping in to challenge a potential merger of two major fantasy sports sites. In fact, the agency has authorized legal action to block Uh the merger of the DraftKings and the FanDuel sites, saying that uh, if the two become one company, it would own 90% of the money-making fantasy sports sites in the United States, and that would actually make it a game of Monopoly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe not happening uh, there in the FTC's eyes. The FTC jointly with the offices of the attorneys general for the state of California and the District of Columbia uh, filing a complaint in federal district court seeking a preliminary injunction to stop the deal and maintain the status quo uh, pending an administrative trial. So, okay, that's so we'll, fair we'll enough. see if that uh, sounds bigger than uh, the Time Warner Cable Comcast thing. That, do you do any uh, fantasy sporting? No, I yeah. I studied it a little bit for a book I was doing, and yeah. then, oh, people make their own teams and they do this right. and they pay money, and I think Yahoo was really big at the time, which tells you how long ago this oh, book yeah. was. Yeah. And then I thought, you know. I can see why some people like this. I don't, so I'm yeah, not going to do no, it. I'm not going to do it, yeah. But, you know, there's something for everyone on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, Uber is desperately trying to get some uh, good PR. The rough really? couple of weeks there. They're going to the need Uber. it. Yeah. 
As part of its 180 Days for Change campaign to improve the Uber experience for its employees, the company announced it was adding a tipping option to its app. I think it's just in a couple of cities at I first. I saw that. Yeah, yeah uh, like Seattle, I'm sure, and a, a couple of others. Um, and uh, also throwing in several other perks for its drivers, like paid wait times and a shorter cancellation window. Hmm. So trying to make it a better place to work there, I guess. Time Warner is hooking up with Snapchat in a new deal uh, worth $100 million with an M dollars. As part of that deal, Time Warner will create scripted dramas and comedies for the Snapchat platform, and there could be as many as three new shows a day before the end of 2017. So major video production here. Well, wait, what? On Snapchat? Yeah. Yeah, they, they've hooked up with Snap, the parent company, and they're going to create original content for Snapchat. <sighs> Okay. Yeah, you know, everyone's got their little stories and their video things now. Yeah. You see it on Instagram. You see it so now Instagram. we're going to get professional stories. Yeah, professionally shot, probably poignant little pieces of human drama. HBO, Turner, and Warner Brothers will also run ads uh, in Snapchat feeds over the next two years as part of this deal. Hmm. So they're uh, helping out uh, the, the companies there. Money, money, money. Yes, uh, Apple is also getting serious about creating original programming. The company announced this week it's hired television executives Jamie Ehrlich and Zach von Amberg to oversee its video programming division, reporting to Eddie Q, who I think runs all the software and entertainment uh, services stuff there at Apple. Any name sounds cooler with Vaughn in yes. it. So I'm going to be Vaughn Rosado. Yes, there you go. Pedro Vaughn Rosado. It, it just meshes so well. It does, it? Yes. Um, it now, uh, those two Apple guys, though, were previously in charge of the Sony Pictures television division for the past 12 years and have been behind shows like... Breaking Bad, Ooh, The Crown, show. and Rescue Me. Good show. Good yeah. shows. All of them. Yeah. Just imagine if you put them all together. Rescue Me, The Crown, is Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> but no, they were all separate, and, and I think The Crown is up for an Emmy even. So uh, yeah. so these guys, this is some heavy firepower coming Seriously over to heavy firepower. Uh, create original programming for Apple. Von Beersdorfer. That's a good one. It, it, that works. Actually, and it may have been that at one yeah, point. Yeah, you never for, know. For all we know. Nice. And finally. And finally. Atari may have ignited the boom in home console video gaming back in the 1970s. Back uh, in the day. But, you know, let's face it, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo kind of own the turf yeah, uh, they do. in, no in the 21st century. It. No doubt about it. However, Atari has confirmed that it's working on a brand new game console. Really? A teaser site for the new Atari Box product shows the camera gliding lovingly down some familiar fake wood paneling and bring to mind either the original Atari 2600 or a mid-century Ford Country Squire station wagon. <laughs> Hard to tell, but <laughs> Or wood my paneling. old Sonic radio. Yes. Because that know, also that had kind faux of, wood paneling. Yeah, that grain yes. kind of built in. So uh, rumor has it the Atari box is a retro gaming rig powered by PC's technology, uh, and I'm sure we will find out soon because before you know it, it's going to be time for the holiday sales pitches. I'm not sure about this one. You don't want to go back to 4-bit graphics? Right? No, I'm not sure that's... I Why, Atari? Gen why? X nostalgia pull? Oh, man, come on. Really? Yeah, well, unless they give you those those basic controls and yet the, the graphics are all, like, modern and yeah. you, you still have the muscle memory from when you were 10 and, and yeah, playing seriously. the Indiana Jones game. Seriously. War games, you know. The, that red button. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that was the first console for a lot of people. I believe it debuted in, what, 77? Yeah. On the home uh, with little cartridges. Yeah, and... I used to go over to my friend's house because my family couldn't afford it. So, yeah. you know, he had it. We played for hours. Yes. I was... mean, hours. Yes, I think that was the babysitter for a lot of families before oh, cable yeah. TV and the oh, internet yeah. came no along. No question about it. No question about it. Yeah, good times. Well, we'll see what good this Atari times. box turns out to be. Maybe it'll be a nice little piece of our childhood's return to us. Eh, I doubt it, but. Yeah, or, you know, just a... a cheap ploy to the Generation X nostalgia machine. Exactly. Yes. Which but, will tick us off all. Yes. 
But uh, for anyone out there who wants to know more about all the things we talked about in the news segment today, you can find them at... PopTechJam.com Up next, I believe it's time for a tech term. Tech term! Like I mentioned in the last segment, JD. Yes. I'm getting skittish about the cloud again. Really? It's, it's just a little giving bit. you a twitch? Yeah, you know, it's just... Uh, the leaking, the hacking. The, the leaking, the hacking, the all that stuff. The, the price, the expense. Yes, that secret desire to go off the grid that yes, you harbor. Yes, absolutely. I do. You know this about me. Mm-hmm. You really do know this about me. I'd get a cabin in the woods and a stack of books tomorrow. And a big roll of Reynolds wrap. a big wrap, roll yes. of Reynolds wrap. Yes, indeed. But no, I've been kind of getting skittish about the cloud, but... Really, honestly, what I realize is I'm editing a lot of audio now yes. and I'm editing a lot of video. And both those require an enormous amount of storage. Video is just huge, especially because it's so high definition. Absolutely. These days. Absolutely. It's all the high definition now. You can't even escape it. You can, I mean, there's no such thing as standard definition anymore. So yeah. I've run into a situation where I have all these external drives sitting on my desk, on the floor, just strewn all over my house. They're probably lonely without you. you know, if you haven't been using them lately, looking up when, you know, like the well, puppy the, that you forgot right, about. Right, the problem is that I end up swamping these things. Yeah. And then I'm worried, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, this thing's going to drop dead. If And then I'm hosed. Yeah. I'm completely hosed. I don't have it backed up on the cloud. Yeah. I'm trying to get rid of the cloud. So I'm in a situation where I sincerely need a RAID server at home. And I've had NAS servers. Now yes. a NAS, Network Detached Storage, is different from a RAID. A RAID could be a NAS, but not vice versa. Uh-huh. Essentially, a NAS is a device that can have redundant disks like a RAID server, but essentially it's a file server that's attached to your network. So you can dump files onto this yes. thing. There's no backup. There's no redundancy. It's just a big old thing you drop files on. Yeah, so it's basically a backup for your other computers, exactly. but it doesn't back up itself. It doesn't back up itself. So, But I need a situation where I need a big honking chunk of storage. Backup for your backup. A backup for my backup, and I want to be able to have redundancy built in. You know, I want that whole data protection built in. So the easiest solution would be getting a RAID, either software-based or hardware-based. But in in terms of saving a little money, I'm thinking about going to Mm software-based. So anyway, RAID. I know I talked about it a long time ago on this show, but I wanted to revisit it because I think it's essential. For a lot of people, it it should be, and we're going to talk more about backup solutions down the road. Um, One of our followers, one of our listeners on social media suggested that we do that. Yes. But a RAID. RAID nowadays stands for Redundant Array of Independent Disks. And not bug spray. Not bug spray. Now, RAID! But originally, it stood for Redundant Array of Inexpensive Disks. And the whole point of it is that back in the day, when you were running a a server and you needed storage, it was a one-disk option. They called them SLEDs. Was it a single, large, expensive disk? The, The obvious problem with that is that if that disk was hosed, all your data is gone. One and done. One and done. Okay, so a RAID storage uses multiple disks to provide data protection. Yeah. Simple. So you've got two drives. You can 
configure one of those drives to back up the other one. They call it data mirroring. Anyway, I'll get into specifics in a second, but Riffin. so in, in 1987, yes, a so good year. way back in 87, yeah, my hair was big, crash, yeah. my hair was huge yeah. back in 87. A couple of cats from the University of California in Berkeley, David Patterson, Garth Gibson, and Randy Katz first defined the term RAID in a paper called A Case for Redundant Arrays of Inexpensive Disks. The theory was that spreading data across multiple drives would improve system performance, and that makes sense because instead of dealing with one drive having to do all the work of, you know, backing this stuff up, you've got the work spread out, chunks of data spread out across multiple drives. The idea then that it would lower costs and reduce power consumption and avoid potential reliability problems. All makes perfect sense. The problem is this, this system didn't actually kick in until a couple of years later. So, uh-huh. so they wrote the paper. And they wrote they, the paper and then, you know, the, the actual corporate structure caught up after the fact. The paper also described the original five RAID levels. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to mention the three most popular ones. So this There's, is like the DEF CON scale, right? right no, no, no. It's not the DEF CON scale. It's basically the different uh, uh, configuration arrays that you can have when you're running a RAID server to that allows you to do different ways of backing up your data. So there's actually 12 by last count, right? They go in numbers. It's uh-huh. like RAID 0, RAID 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, RAID 10. Then there's RAID 1 plus 5, 1 plus 0, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. But there's three that really would work for a home network setup like I'm trying to put together. There's RAID 0, and that's uh, that's also known as disk striping. And basically, the data is written across multiple disks rather than just one, and that increases the performance. The problem is that if one disk fails, then you lose the data. It doesn't matter how many drives you have, none of them are providing redundancy or a backup. So that brings you to RAID 1. That configuration is known as disk mirroring. That's hard to say, mirroring. Yeah. So basically, what you've got is one drive... Let's say you've got, yeah. you've got two terabyte drives in this array. All right. right? So then you get them on both. You get them on both. You get, But it's a, it's a copy. Yeah. So your system is actually telling you you only have one terabyte. Yeah. Because that backup is ghosting your first drive. Beauty of that is if your drive fails, you pull one drive out, you pop another one in, you don't lose any of your data because you've got a built-in copy. It's a mirror. It is a mirror. Exactly. RAID 5, that's mostly used in uh, enterprise servers. And basically with RAID 5, the data and parity, and parity is like, like little additional chunks of information that helps in your data recovery. These are all striped across like multiple drives. So if a disk goes south, you get an error or it fails, the data is recreated from these parity files. So you don't lose anything. You've got a big honking chunk of data storage. One of the drives goes south, it doesn't matter. And the nice thing about this is it's also hot swappable. So if the file goes south while you're working, or rather while you're, you know, while the server's going or the network's running, you don't have to pull the plug on the server to swap the drive. You can just pull it out and pop it out. So which one are you going to use? I think I'm going to go for the disk mirroring RAID 1. Mm -hmm. I think that makes the most sense. I mean, yeah, you know, it's always nice to see that I've got like 20 terabytes of drive space. But the reality is that the whole point of this is to back up. Yeah. 
uh, what I've got. And what I'm doing is actually uh, there's a company, uh, OWC. You've heard of OWC. Yeah, yeah. They, Other World Computing. Right, exactly. That, yeah. They've got a, uh, an application that I stumbled across from a press release that they sent me called SoftRate for Mac. And that's actually originally was called MacRate. But now they just name it SoftRate. So what I'm going to do is take my old cheese grater. Mm-hmm. I already jammed 32 gigs of RAM in that thing. Vroom. I'm going to take all, I'm going to tear up all my external drives plop them in to all the drive bays yeah. and then create a RAID using the soft RAID. Now, I'll talk about it on the show. I'll let folks know how it goes. It's my little weekend project at Casa Kaiser. Oh, wow. Make your own RAID. Make my own RAID. And then I'm going to get off the cloud. I'm seriously going to get really? off the this, cloud. So this is going to be, you're making your own cloud and it's going to be on the ground. Yep. And... It's going to be on the ground. No, I mean, I'm seriously, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm getting a little hinky about uh, about the cloud. So. Security is always Security and, you know, it's. And you got I'd some ra- antivirus on this RAID. Oh, right? yeah. No question about that. I'm definitely running antivirus. Right, and I think you should take a picture of it, too. I think I will. Yes. I think. Give it a nice name. That's a tech time. The Cloud Blaster 5000. The Cloud Blaster, yes, that's what it is. All right, well, thank you for that tech term. I'm intrigued. I want to see how this project plays out. Uh, It's going to be fun. Now, I think it's time for a hopefully helpful hint. We've had a tech term. Let's have a hint. We're going old school. I love this. You know, this. we're all about the service journalism yes, we this are week. Indeed. We are indeed. Now, let, let's face facts. Uh, some type is very hard to read, tiny type out there. Some of us are a little older than we used to be, and maybe we're not reading the tiny type as much. But a lot of times, dark restaurant, artsy menu, they're not really thinking about readability. They're just looking at tiny fonts. Hey, young people can wear three different pairs of glasses at the same time, too. Yes. Okay? Yeah. So... Yeah, so precisely. <laughs> you know, th- there's just certain times, no matter who you are, no you need to you seal are, you something need, a little right. closer. Yeah, you need supervision. Yes, That's and and in cases like this, if you've got a smartphone, yes, uh, a, I do. an Android, an iOS device, or uh, even a Windows phone, even a Windows phone, there are apps or sometimes built-in services that can turn your phone into a magnifying glass. Coolness. And this is very handy. Yes, very handy. Um, and uh, before I go through all this, a lot of people you know, will say, well, I can just take a picture of the thing and then go to the photo app and zoom in and see what I'm looking yeah, at. Yeah, that's like, too yeah, much of a that. hassle. It's maybe three or four steps. Yeah. Uh, with some of these, you just either open an app, boom, you look at stuff, or in the case of Apple, you triple click on your home button and you got a magnifying glass. So yes, there is the take a picture and zoom in uh, approach, and that works in some. Wait, conditions. hold on a second. I can triple click and get a. I had no idea. After a little bit of setup. Oh, there's setup in Yes, Apple. no. Oh, I've got and, my and phone will, here. Yes, I will explain how to do this. Nice. So we'll start with Apple since you brought it up okay. here. Okay. Um, in iOS, I don't. I don't need this, by the way. I don't need the magnifying. Yeah, yeah. Glass. You just, you, you, you just, you know, in case, you know, just, uh, you know, for the kids to play with. Yeah, precisely. There you go. So, uh, uh, so say you you've got your iOS device there. Yeah. And uh, you've got iOS 10 running on it. I do. Uh, the magnifier function is built in in this case. You don't have to download an extra app, although you could if you wanted to. But right. if you want to go straight with what's under the hood, yeah. Um, this is a tool as part of Apple's suite of accessibility features, where ah, they build yes. in a lot of uh, vision and hearing and, and tactile things. I actually so, know where uh, that is. So to use the magnifier in this situation, um, just open your settings app, the little gear shaped thing on the home screen, and yeah. select uh, general when you get to the list of settings. Yeah. And uh, on the general settings screen, which has a big long list of uh, various things you can uh, change, choose accessibility. Got it. Okay. And so when you see your list of accessibility stuff, you should see a thing called magnifier. There it is. And it's off. Yeah. So tap that on. 
Bingo. Yes, and then uh, press the home button uh, to return to the uh, main home screen. Yeah, it's there. cool. Yeah. It gives you the magnifying option and auto brightness. Yes. Very nice. Very useful to have. So when you want to read the fine print on something or maybe you got some junk mail, you want to see what the disclaimer says, whatever yeah. the reason is, uh, just triple click the home button three times. It should bring up the magnifier. Bam! It's like magic. See, and that's and that's a little faster than taking a picture and then going to dig it out of the photo and it gives you the option of taking a picture, too. Yes, you can take a picture of freeze frame. You can use the flash to illuminate the thing you're looking at. Yeah. Um, and uh, it can be very useful. And there's filters. If for some people have contrast issues, mm-hmm. seeing things, you can tap a filter to maybe change the contrast if it works better with your particular vision. Right. So all kinds of useful things in there. And they bear this in accessibility, but it can be useful for everyone. So That's very useful. Yeah. I, uh, for, for some people, not for me. Yes, yes. Just, I don't you know, unless it. you need to, what's that bug on the floor? Yeah, exactly. See it, uh, exactly. But yeah, uh, for scientific purposes. Yes, as you pointed out, yeah, there's a freeze frame thing. You could save an image if you've taken it. Yep. Um, and then when you want to get out of the magnifier, just press the home button to jump back out and go back to what you were doing. It's a beautiful thing. So that's the iOS version. Now, of course, I hear you out there, Android people. What about us? Yeah, what about Android? Yeah, uh, you can uh, do the same thing. Uh, I don't believe it is built into the system like it is with Apple, but there are a ton of magnifying glass apps out there. I think there's at least three dozen, if not more. Are there any that don't steal your personal information? Uh, There are some that want permissions that maybe you're... See, hmm, see. But they're also, if you give them a couple of bucks, then you're actually right. buying the app. There so all right, that's fair enough. That, it all depends on your preferences. And also, if you're using a full screen magnifier and there's an ad on there, maybe that's distracting. Mm. Uh, but most of these things, I think, are about $3 or less. Not uh, bad. So basically, you just have to go into the Google Play Store and search for magnifying glass, and a bunch will come up. The one that I use on my Android device is Cozy Magnifier and Microscope. Because it's got a really detailed zoom. Really? And you can also do the filters and the flash and the freeze frame. Uh, some phones may actually have a magnifying app built in because, as mm-hmm. we know, Android is open source. People will modify it to their heart's content. Right. I believe Samsung uh, for a while had a magnifier widget that you can get to, I think, at least back as far back as the um, the Galaxy S5. That explains why the batteries were blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that. but that's Yes, uh, but, but uh, <laughs> and I know the SA. Uh, has the yes. magnifying widget. So if you have a Samsung Galaxy phone, maybe you've already got a tool in there. You just have to activate the widget. If you have a different flavor of Android, mm-hmm. plenty of apps to choose from. Just plenty. pick one that you like, and maybe the ads are innocuous, or it's not that expensive. You just buy it without the ads. Right. It is going to ask you for access to your camera and your flash and your photo album, probably, just in case you wanted to store photos. So... If you have uh, privacy concerns, just make sure you see the app permissions and see what it wants to, you know, because if it's going into parts of your phone that a magnifying glass would not have any need to do, like your call log, maybe you get a little worried about that. I got a lot of lines on my hands. Are you getting a palm reading there? Palm, yeah. Yeah, I think you need to overlay a palm reading app and get your your future there. Nice. So so plenty of magnifying apps in the Android store. Uh, Microsoft makes its own pocket magnifier for the Windows phone users out there. Uh, Very cool. there, There are still some. Some, I believe, who are not on ABC uh, that are in the general population. There you go. Uh, Microsoft Pocket Magnifier would be the app, and there are competing apps as well if you wanted to not use a Microsoft product. So uh, so they're there. You just maybe have to look a little farther, and I'm sure as uh, smartphone operating systems evolve, a lot of the stuff will be baked in anyway. Nice. Uh, but very useful to have, especially in, you're useful. in New York, you're in this dark restaurant, you can't, you know, the little candle's burned out. Yep, yep, you you yep, got to yep. see the menu. You got to make sure, you know, you're not going to order the wrong kind of wine. Oh, I mean, I've got super sight, but that never would happen Yeah, to just me. to never. triple click on your phone there and, and yeah. then see what you're ordering. There you go. 
So top uh, three. Hopefully helpful hint right here. Why, thank you. This is top three. Yes, and I will have links uh, to information on where you can find these apps for Android and uh, Windows Phone and the instructions for doing it on your iOS 10 device. You can find all that at poptechjam.com. Up next, it's uh, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go. Up next, it's time to go. Yes, up next, we're out of here. We need to thank the bros. We do. Thank you, bros. Thank you, bros. Builtbybros.com. Build something with the bros. If you think it, they will build it. Yes, and they're here for us every week. They are indeed. Uh, Thank support you. and uh, everything you need to hear the podcast. For years now. We appreciate it. Golf clap for them. Yes. Yay, yay bros. Yay, bros. And thank you, listeners, uh, those who've been with us since our old show, those who have recently joined, yes. those who just found us by accident. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yes, and uh, until next week when we are back with more, and we will be back with more. Yes, we will. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. Everyone have a very nice magnifying week and uh, don't leak. Don't leak. Stop with the leaks. Leaks.